0: I'm Aaron Armstrong.
1: I'm Pete Moran. I'm Bridget Taylor. And we love to watch. We love to watch triangulation in action. Hey, oh.
2: Hey Peter. Hey team. Hi. Wait, that's not how you
1: start a radio broadcast. You got to like storm in.
2: Well, we don't have any Leonard Cohen. We couldn't afford the rights. <laughs>
0: but hey, as far as you know, that's what just played. I don't know. <laughs> so so anyway, so yes, we have Bridget Taylor here. It is her third guest appearance on our show
2: and like number 3.
0: This is yeah, this is this is the start of a new month, a new month, almost wholly inspired by Bridget. <laughs> so uh, in that, so Bridget's not the only one that's done this, but we've had people that have come up to us that have been guested on our show and they have asked to do certain movies. You know, they, if you ever do this movie, if you ever do this movie, I'd love to cover that one. If not, you know, just keep me in mind for stuff. So we've had a lot of great guests or people that we've have wanted to be on our show, but in a wanted to do a certain movie we we kept talking about ways to kind of plug those into some theme month that we had and and then after a lot of hard work peter and i were like you know what let's really let's really lazy this shit and just do a guest request month and all the good podcasts do it Exactly. Just really ease right into it. Don't put much effort into it. That's the podcasting way. <laughs> and so – and but, but Bridget was the first person who, who – uh, she was one of our first guests on our first like 20 episodes. And she's, she was the first person to say, if you guys do pump up the volume, which is the the 1990 film that we are doing today – starring a young, handsome boy oh by the name gosh. of Christian Slater. Oh, my
2: god!
0: We couldn't think of a better movie to kick off Guest Request Month and pump up the volume with Bridget Taylor. So since Bridget has been on the show a couple times, in and in lieu of doing three things about yourself, we want to take this month and have the guests explain to them why they wanted to do This movie on our podcast, then we're going to get into a game that Bridget got, and then we're going to get into the movie proper. So, Bridget, why did you want to talk about, out of all the
2: movies out there in the world, pump up the volume? The easy answer is that we talked about it when we did our first podcast together, which was House. The slightly more complicated and hopefully more interesting answer is that one of the things that House talked about a lot in its weird, surreal, oblique, bizarre, what-the-fuck-just-happened sort of way was adolescence and maturity and the trap of being a teenager. And my movie that was about the trap of being a teenager more than any movie I watched when I was a teenager was Pump Up the Valiant. This movie was actually super important to me. I don't actually think I obsessively rewatched it like I did some movies, but I did own the soundtrack. I did play the soundtrack a lot and it just had a lot of resonance for me being a teenager in 1990 I would have been I would have been a uh, sophomore in high school ish depending on when I actually watched it and really identifying with a lot of that stuff and rewatching it for the podcast like a lot of that stuff got brought home and I was like I'm so glad I get to talk about this movie so that's why That's amazing it really is like a, a full circle I'm so happy <laughs>
0: <laughs> So so we're going to get into a lot more pump up the volume First we have a game. Bridget brought us a game, which is really it's really good because
2: Y'all didn't have a game.
0: Well I, I had an idea, Bridget. <laughs> it just it's not it's it would have been a stretch even by our show's definition. Of, of a stretch for a game. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to give you a little taste. Okay. So the, the game the game was... There's no now, way it's worse than the house game was. That was more complicated. This is uh, not elegant in its simplicity, but okay. so, so stupid. Okay. And I don't know how I would have gotten 10 questions. but So essentially it would have been like, hey, you know what are two things from 1990? Pump Up the Volume, a movie we're going to talk about today, and also a song <laughs> called Pump Up the Jam. They're sort of similar sounding. I'm going to ask you a question, and and you tell me, is this pump up the volume or, or pump, pump up the, the jam? jam? So, nice. for example, it'd nice. be like, Bridget, which one was sung by Technotronic?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I actually owned the Technotronic album on cassette. <laughs> and That's really... consider
1: considered cheating. I'm basically yeah. <laughs> a
2: living time capsule. <laughs>
1: And
0: that would have really been the only—that was the only question I had in my head, just because, uh, to be honest, I like saying the word technotronic.
2: <laughs> this beat is technotronic. Here's the
1: dance floor. Get on it. So, um, I'm a millennial. You guys are Gen X. Like, what's—what uh, is—what are all the words you just said for the past ten minutes?
0: Oh, you well, don't know about pumping up the jam? Yo, pump it up. No, pump it. Get the
2: Pumping? While the jam is pumping, look ahead. The cloud is jumping. Pump it up a little more. Get the party going on the dance floor.
0: I knew the dance floor was coming out, I, oh, but yeah. I did not know that many lyrics. Get up, get up. Oh. Get,
2: well, the problem is, I get get up, get busy, and this beat is TechnoTronic mixed up sometimes because honestly, they're basically the same song. Um, they threw right.
0: so they th- Hold on, so they threw their group's name TechnoTronic into the song.
2: You didn't own this cassette.
0: I did not. So I was more of a member. How old are you? I'm 34. Okay. So like, technically, I think millennials, like anyone who graduated high school in the new millennium. So I'm 2001. So I'm like, I'm right on that cusp between Gen X and millennial. Yeah. but don't like. So you'll act as an interpreter for us, Bridget. Yeah. I'll bridge the gap. You guys are like (laughs) Israel and Palestine. And 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 I'm I'm going to be like Bill Clinton.
2: Like, the, the the weird thing about adolescence is it's this little teeny tiny slice of your life. Yeah. And so you have these four years that, for example, you were in high school or the four years you were in college. And then like that, the college years just stop. And so there's not even a lot of overlap. Uh, uh, actually, here's here's a nice segue into our quiz.
0: That's good. Thank you for pulling us because, out of this.
2: <laughs> because as, 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 as I'm sure you remember, Pump of the Valium has some uh, not safe for work moments. Some nudity, some drugs, some masturbation references. And by some, I mean dozens.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Mostly <laughs> masturbation references.
2: It's about, a moment. It's about let's
0: 80% good movie, 20% hearing Christian Slater pretend to masturbate.
2: <laughs> and yes, I am <laughs> slapping my cheek right now in honor of Christian. All right. So we're going to we're gonna take a wholesome moment to, to talk about a different style of movie. A Disney Channel original movie. Oh, yes. Uh, because
0: <laughs> No, we're done making masturbation noises, Peter.
2: <laughs> I am, <laughs> Never. I, I, I am almost certainly the only person in this room who once was sitting on the couch listening to the Disney Channel's ridiculous promos for their terrible movies and pointed across the room in shock and said, I know that movie. That is not that movie. So today we're going to do some Disney Channel original movies adaptations. Because the Disney okay. Channel is—I don't know if they're notorious or just notorious in this household for taking interesting sources and turning them into—we'll just use the word—Disney Channel original movie. Are you guys ready? I'm. I, so I'm, ready. I'm also very curious. Yeah, what, let's let's do
0: that. And I, I don't know any of these, so I'm gonna be not great.
2: So so our kickoff obviously is um, Aaron. Let's start with you. Which Disney or Channel original movie takes inspiration from Pump Up the Volume? Without the drugs and nudity, your options are A. am oh, so glad there's options. Radio Rebel. <laughs> B. Turn It Up. C. Trouble in Paradise High. Or D. Wendy Wu, Homecoming Warrior.
0: So the first question I have for you, Bridget, are all these real Disney Channel movies...
2: Uh, They are not all real Disney Channel movies. All the answers are real Disney Channel movies. Most of the answers are Disney Channel original movies.
0: Okay. Two two out of four. These all sound real. Two out of four in this one are real. I hope, I don't know if this is right. But I got to say, just for just for the absolute laziest way that they could do a ripoff movie, I'm hoping it's Turn It Up.
2: It is Radio Revel. Turn It Up is not a real Disney Channel original movie. Damn (laughs) it.
1: I I refuse to believe
2: that that's not a Disney Channel original movie. (laughs) I actually did a find on Wikipedia just in case. Okay, Peter, you're, you're up. This Disney Channel original movie was based on beach movies like the classic Frankie and Annette vehicle Beach Blanket Bingo. A, California Dreamin', B, Teen Beach Movie, C, Make Mine Mendocino, or D, Wendy Wu Homecoming Warrior.
1: Is <laughs> the fourth option always Wendy Wu Homecoming Warrior?
2: You'll just have to wait and uh,
1: see. Our hundredth episode of the show, Wendy Wu Homecoming Warrior, <laughs> um, M- Mendocino, the that option, the the second one, Mendocino, uh, whatever.
2: Make Mine Mendocino was your third option.
1: Yes.
0: yes
2: okay. That. Did you, you, are did you also say
0: Mendocino the adoption?
2: Third option. <laughs> oh. You are also incorrect. It was, in fact, the laziest option possible, Teen Beach Movie.
1: Uh, I. That sounded so generic. I was like, even Bridget's phoning it in.
2: <laughs> I I, I,
0: ho- I hope there are some really good ones like that Like, oh, they remade Do the Right Thing It's called Be Good All the Time
2: <laughs> Aaron, you're up Disney Channel didn't even bother changing the title of this one A, Adventures in Babysitting B, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure C, Home Alone Or D, Wendy Woo, Homecoming Warrior
0: I mean, I doubt there's two Wendy Woos uh, I'm gonna go... Adventures in Babysitting? You are correct.
2: It was their 100th Disney Channel original movie. I actually have weirdly heard of
1: this. Um, It stars Elizabeth
0: Shue, Peter. We're even listening. It's the same remake.
2: (laughs) She was cute in that movie. All right, Peter, mixing things up. This movie is an adaptation of a book rather than a ripoff of another movie. It also features musician Haley Kiyoko. A. Lemonade Mouth. B. Holes. C, Camp Rock. D, Wendy Wu, Homecoming Warrior. Camp Rock. No. Urgh. It is a Disney Channel original movie, but the one that's the adaptation of the book with Haley Kiyoko is Lemonade Mouth. That sounded the most fake. Um, so far, your questions have been really
1: formative because they've completely defied any uh, rationale Watching I could possibly
2: sense. have. about
0: <laughs> Honestly, if I learned anything from this, there's a movie... That's named Lemonade Mouth. I
2: love it. All right. So Aaron is ahead by one point. We do have a tiebreaker in case there was a tie, which I don't even know why I was worried about that. Peter, do you want to take it to see if we can end it at one all? Okay. So, so a tie a tie causer. A tie causer. I mean, you know <laughs> considering <laughs> considering the, the bet we put on this uh before uh before we got started was, was only for half a million dollars. I think we could just let it slide.
1: Yeah. That's it's pittance. It's also,
2: also you one do copy need of to know, Pump Up the Volume. Wendy Wu Homecoming Warrior is a real Disney Channel original movie.
0: Oh, I didn't doubt that.
2: Vaguely based on <laughs> Wuxia Films, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and a bunch of rip offs of the Karate Kid. But who played Wendy Wu? Your options are Chloe Bennett, Constance Wu, Brenda Song, or Ashley Argoda.
1: Uh, Does he get to go first? It's a tie-causer, Peter.
2: Yeah, Peter, it's yours. It's yours to screw Uh, up.
1: Brenda Brenda Song? You are correct. The tie tie
2: Very nice. (laughs) (laughs) We did it! Wendy Wu Homecoming (laughs) Warrior is actually my favorite Disney Channel original movie. I noticed a lot of plugs for it. They were subtle. But there were a lot of
1: plugs for that movie in this past. It's hard phase, to come I'm up
2: wondering. with options, and so I decided I'd just go with the running gag.
1: Bridget, thank you so much for for bringing that game,
0: uh, and uh, it clearly gave us a lot to talk about. Some of it the listeners may have heard. Some of it's going to be a mystery forever. Yeah, um, but and, and uh,
2: I'm happy to 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 bring up any questions you have about the Pump Up the Volume ripoff, Radio Rebel, because I I just I spent the entire experience of watching that movie trying to convince myself that i wasn't just hallucinating it well you know what uh pump up the volume is out of print
0: so maybe if you're listening to this show and want to watch pump up the volume but can't because it's out of print maybe maybe radio rebel is a facsimile and then just like i don't know take a couple breaks and masturbate during it and you'll basically yeah. get <laughs> experience. Yeah. it's pretty similar pretty
1: similar <laughs> so,
2: um, so I take so off you guys your will... shirt about halfway through it'll, 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 it'll... Uh, yeah ideally
1: um, Alright, so speaking so of Radio you, Rebel so much fun, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be a Radio Rebel And push this into the next segment
0: Do you guys want to talk about The Radio Rebel prequel <laughs> Pump up the volume
1: <laughs> Yeah Everybody knows That the days are loaded Everybody rolls With their fingers crossed Everybody knows The war is
0: over lost everybody knows the fight was fixed the poor stay poor the rich get rich that's how it goes everybody knows <laughs> all right peter you are alternate taglines what do you got
1: uh am i <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh uh the FCC isn't FCCing around. That's all I get. They aren't seeing around. Seeing around. They aren't f. Yeah, just f. Around. around. The FCC isn't. Oh, around. I see. the FCC uh, isn't okay. fingering around. Is that so that f-, f-, f. Yeah, that made more sense.
0: I, w- I was wondering what they were. fcc yeah, FCCing use- around what?
1: You can use whatever that you need to, you know, make it a really good one. Um oh not like leave
0: it a lot of fuck ups cuz it's funny to me personally <laughs> but like what what
1: would be yes. good to our audience all I'm saying is just do whatever you got to do to make that funny, Aaron. Just put okay, boogery in. Okay, please. We put Cut a lot it. of work in the show. I'd like Cut you to make it funny for me.
0: Okay. Well, now, so I'm gonna leave that. You, I'm gonna leave you saying that in, and that will explain all the horn sound effects, like the clown beeps that I that were earlier that everyone heard. Everyone's gonna be like, "Why were those those?" It's like, well, as you can see, if you keep listening, Peter asked me to do whatever I needed to do to make it funny, and I'll tell you what. Horns. Always good. I'm into this. Is that what they're called? Horns? Like the little, you know what I'm talking about? Like the little cr- clown things that they just, they're like squeakers.
1: Like a little red yeah. ball and a, and a cone. Yeah.
0: Is that a yes. horn? Is that's that a typo? that's not a wind <laughs> instrument? No, just call them honkers honkers okay that yeah. can't be taken out of context at all <laughs> just call them big honkers well yeah. i mean the, they're, they're medium-sized at best <laughs> circuses that i've been to um nah, Bridget, you
1: still find, there find, uh, yourself, uh, <laughs> find yourself a new circus is what i said
0: yeah uh, i can't they've all shut down which is actually kind of a win for our society at a time that we need it most uh so now you second recap so a oh boy Little boy. Little baby boy. Little pretty baby boy. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want me to start over? (laughs) No. (laughs) Do you feel like I'm summing it up enough? Okay. So, a little little beautiful baby, little baby Jack Nicholson, uh uh-huh, is... (laughs) He's talking on the radio, and he's saying some sort of edgy stuff that some parents might not like, like, school sucks, and maybe... You know teachers are bad and maybe our parents just don't understand and we don't need no education you you don't think that he said parents don't need a no care understand
1: i I think parents understand plenty
0: oh i see you disagree with christian slater not me recapping what christian slater and will smith and jazzy jeff
1: oh the record
0: i mean i agreed with jazzy jeff but will smith was out there
2: (laughs) jazzy jeff just laid down the beats
0: Yeah, he's just smooth rhythms and the rhymes. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, so he's and and you know what? He's doing it over the radio, which you kids listening today was something was like a pre podcast with which. But he was doing like a pirate radio station. So it was a special frequency that he didn't have a license for. So exactly like a podcast.
2: You know, Um, one of the things if, if we can just go ahead and talk a little bit about the movie also, well, recap, watching you guys you. struggle. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm
0: interrupting. We're in full-on recap. I'm like, interrupting. No one's going to know what's going on. <laughs> These are, <laughs> trust me, we get so many notes about how helpful these are to people <laughs> and not an annoying way to start the bucket. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to go on with my helpful public service. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. And sometimes he does some goofy stuff. Like he, he pretends to jerk off oh, and then wow. assumingly, cause he is like 16, then like leaves the radio and just goes and jerks off. Um, just, combine, just save some time. You're already, pre- everyone thinks you're jerking off. Um. Just some advice from the sheepseeds. But anyways, so the kids in high school start listening to this and soon more and more and more. And one one uh, lady by the name of Samantha Mathis is really into discovering the identity of who's who at the school, because it has to be someone at the school, is saying all this edgelord stuff. <laughs> but like progressively less annoying edgelord stuff. And eventually she figures out it's Christian Slater, the new kid in town whose dad is the superintendent of the school and he's having a tough time, uh, kind of a tough time dealing with the move and the fact that he doesn't really have any friends and he kind of found this old radio gear that his dad gave him as a as an outlet, but what's happening instead is he's kind of finding his voice. And meanwhile, the school they go to, and part of the reason he feels the need to speak out, even in an anonymous way, the school that he goes to is is really doing a lot of uh, nefarious stuff. The principal is kicking students out to maintain test scores and some other stuff we find out later. As his following grows, he does take a call from a, a boy... Who is saying that he is going to kill himself? And Christian Slater tries to talk to him as a person, as a as a fellow kid. Um, and unfortunately, the end result of that is that the kid still uh, kills himself. So at that point, the community's up in arms. They call him the FCC. They're trying to find who is doing this because, of course, they blame uh, they blame Christian Slater. Meanwhile, Christian Slater is both sucked up into it and also rejecting the amount of focus. Uh, that's on it and at the end he he kind of listens to Samantha manthus and embraces the kind of mini revolution that he's causing the school gets found out the principal gets fired but at the end he uh, is kind of being dragged off by the by the police to a cheering crowd of his peers and that's the way it was <laughs>
1: Thank you very much, Aaron. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to propose something. So the movie has uh this this Christian this Christian Slater type donning a fake persona. Uh I, I say that for this episode we don radio personas. What do you think about that? Sure. Okay. I'm gonna be like, I don't know, like a douchebag type, like a I'm gonna go I'm gonna be like Wolfman Aaron. How's that?
0: And I'm gonna be like a Peter Moran who (laughs) says thanks a little bit too much when people do stuff to the point that everyone assumes it's fake.
2: Here see here's the problem. On commercial radio there's one part for a girl and it's the girl. (laughs) <laughs> That's so funny. you're nailing yeah. it you're nailing it baby.
0: Oh, th- <laughs> oh thank you for laughing so much
1: oh. <laughs> uh, uh but yeah so uh if you guys come up with any sort of personas you want to do for the show announce them and we'll uh we'll ride that out from there but yeah what what is what is the pumping up of the volume bridget already told us why she brought this movie on i quite enjoyed it uh aaron what was your experience with the movie
0: so, yeah, I, I had seen it before as well, and I uh, saw it when I was in high school, uh, So it, which is, I really think, the perfect age for the first time that you see this movie. So I, I would have been, I think, a senior in high school. I don't know what I was expecting. Um, I didn't expect it to be this good. I thought it was going to be kind of a fun Christian Slater teen comedy, and instead it really was, Um, I don't know what the right word is, <laughs> like Christian Slater was cool to me. Like he really was, you know, even, even, you know, it was 10 years later, you know, watching it now, there was a little bit more of like, he's very much like a very early nineties version of cool. And some of it can be a little eye rolling at times as an adult. But when I first watched it, no, I mean, he really was funny and articulate and that kind of like idea of fuck the school, fuck your parents, that kind of like, I don't know what we're doing. Hmm. But I guess I just have to keep going forward with life and why do I have to do that? That kind of – the the common conflict that you're kind of in as a teen of in this weird transitional state where you're not, uh, you know, not an adult and you're not a kid and what the fuck does teenager even mean? You know, it, it felt resident. I haven't seen it since then. Uh, so, so I was really excited to revisit this and maybe this is a good way to kind of kick off some of the conversation – I was expecting to be embarrassed by Christian Slater's persona because a lot of times when you revisit these movies that you loved in high school it it's like oh this guy is the worst <laughs> um, and I also expected you know anytime a movie from the 90s even like 2000s, mid-2000s, tries to be edgy, it usually means we're going to make light of suicide, and we're going to do gay panic jokes, and we're going to say some racist shit. Like, that's that's unfortunately um, what what a lot of these movies consider edgy. And so I was kind of bracing myself for that kind of thing you need to do when you watch movies that you liked from 25 years ago, which is, look... They're going to handle any sort of social issue terribly. And I'm going to be offended and bothered and can't believe that this didn't stand out for me as much, but that's what's going to happen. And I was completely shocked that for the most part, this movie handles stuff like suicide and being gay and all these other things that were not taken seriously or not not treated with their proper uh, tone. And this movie did amazingly like it it's politics and its idea of like we're all just people it feels like way ahead of its time
2: and that was one of the things that that re-watching it was exciting to me yeah um you know it's interesting because i worked in substance abuse prevention for about five years uh which meant you did a lot of conversation about teenagers and the teenage brain and this and that and the other thing and brain development. And there was a lot of, you know, here is the brand new cutting edge research we know about teenagers and their brains and how they work and all this stuff. And this is so dead on with that stuff. And the thing that particularly got me uh, was Malcolm's suicide. Oh, yeah. Because, because there's been so much research on that kind of stuff. And, you know, I did suicide prevention training. And what do you ask? You ask, do you have a plan? And if they have a plan, they're more likely to commit suicide. And like, like literally this kid, when you're sitting there listening to him, you're literally checking off the boxes in your head. And of course, at that point, we didn't have that knowledge. We didn't talk to kids. We did not talk to teenagers about suicide. Um, And so, of course, Mark is completely over his head and has completely doesn't know what to do and, and spends the rest of the movie kicking himself for a situation that he was wholly unprepared for. But one of the things we know is that teens who attempt or or complete uh, suicide, they don't tell their parents, they don't tell their counselor, they don't call the suicide hotline, even though, I mean, sometimes they do, and it's great, please, please call the suicide hotline. What they do is they tell a peer, they'll tell another teenager before they tell anyone else statistically. And that's exactly what this kid is doing. Yeah. yeah. And and it handles the suicide better than 13 Reasons Why does in 2017 that sat around patting itself on the back about how enlightened they were.
0: It really does. And I was – throughout all of it, I was almost watching it like through my fingers like a horror movie because, again, you know, I just – when you go t- 18 years without seeing a movie. Oh,
2: yeah. Same, same with me. I was like, oh, it, God, does he do it? I didn't
0: Yeah, you you just I I didn't remember if he did it. I almost expecting Christian Slater to make a joke out of it and maybe get like, "Go ahead, do it, you chicken," or something like that, and hang up the phone, and then feel bad about it because it it had been so long since I'd seen the movie, and I only seen it once. I only had kind of a sense of what it was; yeah. like it hadn't fully imprinted on my brain, and so the fact that it just kept like. You know, he immediately gets empathetic, but he's, you know, it's it's not the writing of an adult trying to write a teenager to no. be empathetic. No. It is like a real kid who doesn't know what to do.
2: And realizes how deeply he is in over his head.
0: Deeply in over his head, but also has a persona that he needs to maintain. Yes. So he understands that too, which is, you know, most kids don't have that because they're being listened to on the radio. Right but it's it's but they have it among their peer group which is essentially what he what he has exactly. where you can be in these situations where you want to do the right thing and then you're looking around at all your friends and worried what they'll think of you if you're like hey man actually you know it's not cool to talk about this stuff so like you're trying to do it in a way that both maintains that doesn't get you attacked by like an unrelenting peer base and
2: you have your social role to maintain
0: Exactly. And but still like tries to do everything you can to help in the only way you know how. So it, it is just it really blew me away at how well it handled it. And then again, you know, early 90s, not, not to move too quickly away from the suicide topic. But then what do you have? A kid who is is gay and is being picked on and people, you know, the, the person who who he really liked, you know, got annoyed and beat him up. What what movie from 1990 handles that in, like, a teen comedy, teen dramedy, teen drama well? There's yeah. always something bad. And it fucking does it amazing. Like, it handles it. Ex- it's like, of course, you're just like everyone else. You're mm-hmm. a human being. It's so, it's so common now or more common now to see that in movies. But the fact that it doesn't even do a throwaway joke and immediately takes it as, like, yeah, this sucks for you. This you are happened? in a hostile environment for who you are as a person. Yep. And I'm here to help you because I know that there is no difference between us. And that is oh, like it really it really impressed me and like l- almost made me choke up at like not just the fact that the movie was doing it but it's like that thing of like, oh, this is a movie all teenagers should watch. Like this is this is uh this is the best example of this type of movie. Yeah. So, Peter, what was obviously you're not seeing it with any of the the memories of like you know he's an edge lord and he's the Howard Stern of high school, Ooh, Lenny and so Bristock. you probably yeah exactly. So you probably didn't have the same um, the same like general like memory fears that I did as I'm watching this movie. But so, what was your impression just knowing it's a you know a 1990s edgy teen comedy?
1: yeah so obviously the first my first picture of it uh, even from the trailer was that it was going to be like a uh, say anything style movie but like not quite as dramatically uh punchy mm-hmm. that like the end of say anything actually does like rock me like it makes me very sad yeah. but um i, I wasn't really going to talk about this on here but like fuck it let's do it um let's do it. i was a pretty uh pretty depressed teenager <clears throat> That has spent, like, a lot of years, like, working through a lot of that stuff. And, like, partway through college, I figured out a lot of what I was working backwards from. Mm -hmm. And this movie confirmed... And I was, for sure, a suicidal teenager who didn't reach out to my parents until it was very late. And then only did so because I reached out to my friends and they told me, like, reach out to support systems that, like, can actually help you. My friends were like, you need to go to a therapist. You need to talk to your parents. And I did all that on their recommendation... And it made my life so much better. And it's so easy, especially like as a like irony is like fucking gold when you're a teenager. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to just like laugh this stuff off or like not treat it seriously. And especially when you're trying to be cool. And it's also likewise, it would be very easy to laugh off this movie because a lot of what it considers cool is like not cool anymore. Some of it's still cool. Leonard Cohen's still cool. Beastie um, boys are still jerk, cool. People still masturbate. Um, still cool. It's as
2: cool uh, as it ever
1: was. <laughs> <laughs> Masturbation
0: never goes out
1: of style. Never went out of
2: style. <laughs> never like, quite cool. Never quite down cool. Yeah,
1: it kind of knocked me on my ass. Expecting. Um, I don't mean this in like a triggering way because mm-hmm. I was like, I'm pretty stable like comfortable dude now but like I did not expect it to like knock me on my ass for the suicide stuff I thought there was just gonna be like a sad kid that he talked off the ledge and everything's gonna be alright it like actually was a gut punch for me um, as somebody who was in that that position and I had like I had friends I wasn't as alone as that kid but I felt as alone as that kid yeah yeah and and yeah it's a it's a uh, it's a movie that I quite liked on that level i think that it uh has more depth than it would seem but also like there are aspects of it that yeah it appeals to it would also be easy to i said it was easy to laugh at from like a modern teen perspective maybe because of some of the surface stuff Mm -hmm. but it would probably be easy to laugh at as like a 30 40 year old who hadn't seen it during their their teenage years I, I think it really works as like a, a movie when you put it yourself even, even like slightly into a, a teenager's fucked up mental mindset and like you just have to know that things are gonna get better. Well, and I think part of the reason that that's, that, that happens, and it's funny that you
0: mentioned mm-hmm. Say Anything because I think Say Anything is one of the other movies that does this because most high school movies, even good high school movies, even like really good high school movies, their characters are usually like archetypes mm-hmm. and usually of like their clique. So you have the nerd and the goth and then there might – or the jock and then, you know, they have and the friends in that. the breakfast club
2: is basically yeah, ex- exa- like playing ex- exactly. on that but it never moves completely past it either
0: exactly let's mix up these archetypes and throw them in the room where i think pump up the volume and say anything presents that those archetypes exist and those clicks exist in high school but gives its characters a level of complexity and doesn't necessarily define them strictly in the in those archetypes that they it's a lot more of a mixed group they're not just one thing that then maybe that's a plot point right
2: And it's not like, oh, these kids never talk to these kids. And if they do, it's a big deal. It felt much more organic to what my high school experience had been like. And to be fair, my high school, it was miniature. So nobody could be in a clique if they wanted to. There were less than 30 of us in my graduating class that would have been absurd. But at the same time, it was much more there were roles and people were in those roles rather than, you know, like everybody had team jackets or whatever
0: exactly exactly, and Diane Court's a great example of that Um, because you know the whole, really, the whole point of that movie is that, like, yeah, she's you know she's pretty and she's smart, but she's she's isolated herself. She's not like the leader of the popular girls, and she tries to relate to everyone, but is so busy that that comes off. So like, she's a complex, three dimensional character. Lloyd Dobler's a complex, three dimensional character, and I would say almost all of the teenagers in this movie. That you get to spend any time with are complex and th- like I think Christian Slater's character is a, is a complex and three dimensional char- th- character. I think Samantha Mathis's character they change in the movie. What happens in the movie affects them, and they're trying to they're trying to be everything all at once. Yeah, and I think beyond that, they are not written as adults writing teenagers. They feel like real teenagers.
2: And one of the things that really gets me about Bump of the volume is the women feel like real women which is vanishingly rare in TV. Even Diane, I have some issues with, honestly. Um, Diane, like she sort of spends the whole movie trying to figure out which guy to take orders from, and that bothers me. And that's a really simplistic reading of Say Anything, and I don't, you know, but that's my five-minute problem with Say Anything, Um, where Samantha Mathis' character is kind of messed up and a little bit of a stalker, but by God, she knows exactly what she wants um and she has desires we we don't get to see her fake masturbating but we do get to see that scene of her in her room with her eyes kind of half closed listening to harry's voice and yeah like oh hey girls care about sex who'd have thought and that's another thing that's you know still feels kind of revolutionary in in 2017 frankly
1: she is definitely the um sexual provocateur and the like sexual um I don't know uh you know, she's the eat me beat me lady relationship. Yes, but she's not it's not like portrayed as a negative no like slut shaming thing. No. It's portrayed she, as a it's a beautiful thing where she's like trying to get this kid out of his bubble. Yeah. Um
2: and yeah, it, you know that was that was one of the things I think that really spoke to me when I watched the movie as a teenager. Um, and watching it again as an adult is apparently this is podcast or confessional night. Um, the thing that struck me on rewatch was. I knew there was a lot of Mark slash Harry in me that I wanted to be this cool, interesting person, and I was stuck being myself, but I also had not realized. But now with sort of the perspective of hindsight, how close mentally at that point in my life, I really was to being the girl who stuck all her shit in the microwave and watched it blow up. <laughs> like, you know, I yeah. was the straight A student. I was the nice girl. And I was, I was right on that edge. Um, and never actually made it to therapy until I was, I, I, I was a full fledged adult. And it probably would have done me a lot of good if I <laughs> made it there sooner. Um, and, You know, the the other thing that I think this movie gets so well about adolescence is that when you are in it, when you are the high school student in the system, it is so easy to normalize the fucked up shit that is happening to you. Like, Mark is relatively new at the school. His father has all kinds of power because he's a superintendent. Mark has picked up on some of the fucked up stuff that's going on. But even he feels like he has this very small spirit power and there's this very small amount of stuff that would change and his dad is actually you know at the end of the movie when he figures out what's been going on he's mad as hell he yeah. says this is illegal this is unacceptable this is not what's happening so but mark because of again mark's you know kind of alienation from his parents from his frustration over the move from his parents not getting through to him and you know we can have that whole conversation do the parents understand maybe sometimes somewhat it's yeah it's not like heathers it's not like heathers and um yeah uh,
1: repo man where the parents are just these like mindless drones who are not status quo
2: yeah they're uh, not speakers they're not antagonists but and they're they're kind of doing the best they can but they don't have they're not on the ground and so they don't live it the same way and because you do sort of normalize these situations like in theory mark could have you know come to to his father with a 10 point did you know this stuff was happening maybe you should talk to this teacher i trust and 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 there would be no movie uh but a there would be no movie and b that's just not how people work because and and that's part of the theme of this movie is mark understanding that he does have power well and that's really
0: i think one of the genius beats of this movie is that if the parents actually probably would have been very receptive yeah if, if Mark and Gwen talk talked to him, be, but they're also very perfect representations. Again, this, this movie, knowing its characters and its world and really hitting those beats. Uh, you know, the parents are very nineties parents. They are, they, you know, they were kids themselves in the seventies, which was kind of that a little bit mythologized, but a revolutionary time. And now they've kind of settled in from being those free thinkers. And now, you know, the, the, Mark's mom chastises the dad at the beginning that now look at you you're kind of just part of the system now yeah yeah so they're but they're not they're not monsters no they give Mark a lot of freedom
2: they're hilariously relieved when they think he snuck a girl into (laughs) it yeah
0: exactly so they they are they're so good for this story I think if you have cartoonish villainous parents it makes a lot of the the, the things seem fake because what you want is to be able to watch this movie and go oh yeah even the parents that you would go, man, I wish my parents were like that and relatable like that. And I could have a conversation with them and they're looking out for my best interests and they defend me. Because not everyone always has that. Nope. But even that, it's like it doesn't really matter. It yeah. doesn't matter yeah. when you're 15 and it doesn't matter when you're 16. That regardless, there's a there's an alienation that occurs. So,
1: so did you guys – that's a perfect sort of transition to what I wanted to ask you guys, which is – Were you guys both pissed off suburban teens who felt like nobody understood you? You know, just listen to any Beastie Boys song, like, around ill communication. Like, was that you? Yeah, 100%. And even though, like, I had a lot of friends
0: throughout that time, and I had, you know, pretty good parents, and I had a solid, you know, middle class, like, like, raising, like, it always felt like, what am I even doing all this stuff for? And I didn't really, you know, not, I don't. This is a little the sharing podcast, but like I had kind of my like real like dark turnaround and it wasn't till college because it was a little bit of that. This idea of like in high school, I'm going to I'm going to do all these things. And once I get to college and I'm an adult, I'm going to start accomplishing all this stuff, like from a creative standpoint. And then when that didn't happen, like I wasn't interested in going to class anymore for college, and I was just working these kind of, like, I took a semester off, and I started working just a couple jobs, like, you know, I had that nine months where I was pretty, pretty, you know, depressed, and and all that kind of stuff, because it was like, oh, did I, am I going to be a cliche of one of those people with these grand plans who ends up working at, you know, Perkins, or as a pizza delivery driver for his entire life? And, you know, like that realization that, oh, this is the time that the exciting stuff was supposed to happen and it's not happening in the way that I v- envisioned it can can have a – even if things are in general pretty good, like that That had an effect on me. So I feel like it was kind of a straight line from these these kind of suburban teen and I'm going to do all this stuff but I don't really understand any of this stuff to having that more of that slump in my mood a couple years later in college.
2: See, I I hit bottom probably eighth grade and kind of hit a little second bottom the end of 11th grade because, um, well, because reasons. Uh, reasons uh, are bad. I need to, I need to, to, to explain that I do not have a typical experience, uh, for most of the population of the United States of America. My town in the 2010 census, not the little village I live in, but the entire the entire big old town of Royalty, Vermont, at 2010, our census was 2,773 people.
1: Jesus.
2: There are 694 people in the village in 2010. Our population was a little bigger in the 90s. We had a few more people in the school. But again, I had less than 30 people in my graduating class. We were unusually a little bit small. Uh, but I don't think, in my memory, we have graduated a class longer, larger than forty. Uh, so we are not suburban. We are too fucking small to be suburban. Yeah. <laughs> we are rural. That was a hot box because if you were on the wrong side of the social expectation, you were out. Yeah. Where do you go? You went nowhere. You you yeah. sat in your room and wrote terrible poetry, um, and. <laughs> blasted the loudest music you could find and felt sorry for yourself. And I had a couple of friends, um, but really not a particularly reliable social group, honestly, until I got to college. College was the greatest thing that had ever happened to me. It is ever um, in in terms of me actually getting self-esteem and deciding I could have friends and having people actually enjoy hanging around me. Um, it was amazing. It was literally a new world for me. I very deliberately went somewhere. I knew no one. Um, we wasn't that far away, but there was, there was one other kid from my town and he was a senior. And, um, I can't tell you how good it was for me. Um, but that was hard. And so even though I wasn't the new kid, Mark's feeling of total effing alienation from everyone yeah. around him. That was, I, I understood that a lot. And, and like I said, rewatching, it was like, oh yeah, that all clicked pretty well with me, didn't it? Um, <laughs> and, and again, you know, this isn't a particularly conservative part of the world, but it was 1990. I graduated in 93. Uh, you didn't talk about gay people aside from a five second perfunctory well, if you're gay, it's all right in sex ed. And, you know, we had a couple of kids who were black and that was about it. I remember kids who got pregnant. We we had one girl who was in the class below me who her coach forced her to apologize to everyone on the softball team for getting pregnant because she couldn't finish Oof. out the season. And she had, quote unquote, let down the team. I mean, she didn't she didn't get expelled like in Puppet the Volume, but. There was some messed up stuff. And again, like it it's been very it was very interesting for the first probably literally 10 years after I got out of high school, I would think of something and go, wow, that was completely fucked up. And if I were an adult and I knew that was going on, I would have done anything in my power to put a stop to it because that shouldn't have happened.
0: Yeah. And you know what? And what's funny is that that kind of that kind of leads into something that I've gone back and forth on whether. I have a problem with it in this movie. But I think by the end of it, I kind of landed on no, which is as much as I praise, you know, our main characters being three-dimensional and the parents being, you know, kind of three-dimensional. The principal is kind of like a cartoon villain. Mm -hmm. There There was a part of that where I'm like, you know, I think this movie almost works better where, you know, it's this idea of everyone being well intentioned, the parents are well intentioned, the kids are well intentioned. You know, what if the teachers were also well intentioned, which is not the case? And I'm like, does that movie work better? Because you you basically, cause that's, that's what most of these places are like. You have parents, teachers, and kids, and none of them are on the same wavelength. Everyone wants different things. And so you have all of these feelings of alienation and rejection and all these kind of things between the, the, the that kind of triumvirate group because those three groups are never going to communicate well together in the broad sense. So, I was thinking if if the teacher and the principal are, like, well-meaning but cause damage, is that a better movie? And the more I thought about it, the more I actually almost went to the other side. And, Bridget, that's why I kind of think that 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 story is so perfect because the idea actually in this movie, which, as you said, does happen, a lot of times teachers and principals don't have the kids in mind. They have – the school in mind, they have their jobs and stuff like mine,
2: or their in ego, b- or whatever it is. And actually, I, I watching it, I I liked. So I I had not remembered it at all. I I literally, I think when Christian Slater is like, "Oh, she got knocked up," I was like, "Oh yeah, there's this whole entire subplot with the school that I had forgotten about about this yeah. basic conspiracy." um And one of the things I really like about the way it's set up is that the principal and her main enforcer. I'm not sure we ever. Remember what his actual title <laughs> is, but he's the one who roughs up the kids. Um, they are clearly uh, the kid rougher upper, the kid rougher upper. They're clearly not good people. They clearly don't have the students' interests at heart. Ellen Green's character is clearly making an effort and trying to stand out, but then in the middle, you have everybody else. And it's obvious from some of the things they say, how they react to some things, that some of them are not paying much attention because they're keeping their heads down and doing their jobs. Some of them are okay with what's going on, but only to a point. And I thought it was really interesting that even though you only get kind of a glimpse about the lives of the rest of the teachers and the staff and the administration, they're not a monolith. And I think if they had all been a monolith or if they'd all sort of been the same, except for brave, cool teacher, Ellen Green, it wouldn't have worked nearly as well.
0: Agreed. Well, I think that's why it ends up ultimately working for me. They're, they are taking something bigger than the rest of the movie. They're, yeah. they're taking this big conspiracy, but you don't really notice what's going on until a good portion of the movie. And I think the idea is, hey – Kids can normalize everything. So here's – they're being abused by their teachers. They're being abused by their principal. They're being denied an education. And the kids don't know what to do about it because they don't feel like they can talk to their parents and they definitely don't feel like they can really talk to their teachers. And even the teachers and the parents at some level are impotent to stop whatever the the quote-unquote big wrong that is being done to these kids.
2: Well, and a lot of them aren't even in a position to figure out what's going on.
0: Exactly. Exactly. The idea that there are these people that are abusing kids, damaging kids, don't have their best interests at heart, and no one – the reason that these people are in these kind of positions of power for so long is that no one – yeah, no one knows what to do about it. No one has a way – To report it, that kids are immediately assumed to be, you know, when you have a kid saying something and you have a teacher saying something and those two statements contradict or a parent and a kid is that everyone believes the quote unquote adults That they are that that high school age kids are particularly vulnerable from evil adults because they don't have a reliable mechanism and they don't have um, independence as granted by the law to really take any action against it.
2: It reminded me of you are can laugh at me, but that's OK, Mr. Snuffleupagus, because <laughs> I am a Gen Xer, which means I was around about the time that the Sesame Street people decided to make Mr. Snuffleupagus real for a long time. Not that long, but, you know, when you're a, a drug nightmare when, it, when, it, when, when you're a kid. It seems like a long time. And the original conception of Mr. Snuffleupagus was that he was Big Bird's imaginary friend. He would always disappear just before one of the other characters in Sesame Street came in. They made a very deliberate choice to make Mr. Snuffleupagus real and have other people look at Mr. Snuffleupagus, believe Mr. Snuffleupagus and say to Big Bird, wow, we were wrong. And one of the reasons behind that was they wanted to show this message that kids who were being abused could go to an adult and tell the truth and be believed um and it's
0: yeah i remember that yeah yeah and, because essentially and, what was happening is that like everyone was mocking big bird for talking about his friend mr snuffleupagus yeah. so it was presenting this idea of oh if you got something weird going on yeah like don't tell anyone look what bob just said to big bird really hurtful <laughs> stuff honestly and
2: you know it's it's interesting to sort of play around to sort of overlay that idea on pump of the volume because mark starts out as this huge skeptic justifiably with the two girls who are prank writing him but then after the suicide he talks to the gay kid who was assaulted and takes the whole thing at face value and listens to and validates what happened to him i think there's this real piece about child development and adolescent development that this movie whether intentionally or not really digs into that need to be validated that need to be believed and the recognition that fucked up things happen to kids
1: yeah i think but uh this is like a more emotional episode than we usually do mostly my fault everybody else also played a part Oh, Uh, I I, I love it. I I almost
2: certainly was going to vomit my emotions all over this, no matter what. Like I said, I realized about 10 minutes in, I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) It's a
1: personal request, a podcast month. Like,
2: I hope we get,
1: this is what I hoped we got out of it. Like, true passion for, like, how this movie affected you, even if it's, like, it just hit you at the right time or whatever. Yeah. Uh, no, that's perfect. Okay, so anyways, so... I, what I, I have what a I very
2: important question. Hit me. Because you guys are dudes.
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: guys are cis dudes living in this world. Mm-hmm. And so when I watched this movie, and I watched Mark pretending to masturbate, and I watched Samantha Mathis taking her sweater off, I feel like I had a very different experience of it than you guys would have. So how did you guys feel about the sex in this movie?
1: Okay, so I was pretty uncomfortable with the jerk-off stuff, mostly because... I think that's a generational thing maybe. Like if I were – I feel like if I would come from a time where like Adult Swim wasn't making jerk-off jokes all the time and like I thought it was edgy when I was 16 to 21, uh, then maybe I would have found the, that like kind of funny and like kind of uh, – not inspiring, but sort of like, yeah, like who gives a shit? Like thumb your nose at the system. But the, the sex stuff is interesting because it kind of taps into uh, another – way the movie has not aged perfectly and that's that while samantha mathis and i, I know where nathan rabin is retiring the term she's not a manic pixie dream girl it does have one aspect of that that i find really troubling which is the um beautiful inspiring woman who just wants a guy to get out of his shell and you know live life in a more full way She pursues him relentlessly.
2: Relentlessly.
1: He he has to show barely any bravery. And like, that's the thing that I've learned most of all through all my romantic relationships. It's like, if you don't show any fucking bravery, you are not going to A, have a good relationship, or B, have any relationships. (laughs) But on the other hand, I like the fact that she's hunting him. And it's not, like I said, it's not a slut shaming thing. It's a like, she's hunting him and she's just like... I've already kind of fallen in love with you, or fallen in lust with you, through your voice. Now I'm in this weird predicament where I know who you are because I hunted you down, and like I want to get to know you better. But like you are a different person online. You're a different person on, on when your YouTube streams than you are in real life. Yeah. Part of her is also saying, and this is something that I think is is crucial to what we've been talking about this whole fucking episode so far very emotional episode so far, but is, is that you can feel lonely in any context. Mm -hmm. Like I had a lot of friends in high school and I felt very lonely. And the thing that happens is you can have zero friends or you can have a million friends. You can have a fucking megaphone reaching out to, I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands of people and still feel like you're the same, like a level of isolation and you have no options. and like, i uh that was one aspect of the movie that really resonated with me but for samantha mathis she's like i want to break you out of that i want you to become the person you should be And i c- could never figure out that's something the movie pivots on and i could never figure out if that was some weird act of like aggression or if that was an ear act of like heroicism is she saving him or is she just like forcing him into a box that he doesn't necessarily need to be in so
0: I'm, I'm I, first Peter, I do to answer Bridget's original question. I do agree that the masturbation stuff is like it's that kind of like you're embarrassed for the person uh, because <laughs> what, they're, what, they're, what they're doing is like not really funny. They're embarrassing themselves and they don't seem to know that they're embarrassing themselves. But I think it works fine because it is a that's what that's what high school kids do. yeah is they make jokes that they think are funny uh because they're they're taboo topics but they're not really taboo topics and sometimes you're just not making a very good joke and embarrassing yourself so i think it works while it is a little sometimes like oh just please stop this is not that funny now the kids' reaction to it who knows sometimes just doing taboo things uh is funny to high school kids
1: it's contextual,
2: right?
0: Yeah, it, it like I said, it is embarrassing, but it does work in the context of uh, the movie. I think.
2: I really love that little moment late in the movie where Christian Slater says, "I don't think I've ever even seen a cock ring." Yeah, <laughs> 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 exactly. That is so He's... perfect.
0: So, and I think that goes into the second question, which is, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Peter on the manic pixie dream aspect of Samantha's Mathis' character.
1: To be fair, I was just making – I was making a question more than an accusation. I do not think she is a manic pixie dream girl.
0: But but I think you touched on something that does define manic pixie dream girls, which is, look, I don't just like you because you're attractive, but I know there's something under the surface, and I'm going to draw it out. And I think in this case – that doesn't apply because in those movies, no, the audience no one, and and the character that's pursuing them actually hasn't seen that. They just have right. this like ineffable sense that there's something inside that comes out. And I can I can tell just by looking at you, and that's like the pixie part of it. Is like the woman essentially has like magic powers, where that she can see this guy's special, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let make him live up to his full potential. In this case, I
2: want everyone to see the beauty that's inside of you.
0: Exactly. And in this case, that's not the case. Uh, Samantha Manthus has heard Mark on the radio. He, she knows. Yeah. But I think in this case, like all of high school is like you're playing a character. Yeah. So so it's that thing where like you you see someone being shy and not express yourself and then you, maybe you go to a play and you see someone like putting on this great performance and all of a sudden you see them not, not as like you expect them to be the person they are in the play, but you realize, oh – they have this passion and they're good at this thing because everyone in high school just kind of keeps their head down and tries not to be noticed even the popular kids like everyone's just playing this like I want to I want people to like me and I want the you know the whatever gender I'm attracted to to like me and I don't want people to make fun of me because I we probably don't actually give each other shit because then I just go home and feel bad and worry that people aren't going to like me anymore. So it really has that effect. So in high school, it's I, I think it's much less of a, oh, I'm seeing your stage persona and I'm obsessed with that and I want you to be your stage persona. is more like, oh, because Samantha Mathis, when she first meets Mark, is like, it's not him. There's nothing there. And then she just learns there's more to this person. That she wants to get to know. So I think based on the context of the movie, and I think based on the age that they are and who everyone is at that age, I'm going to say it. I feel like she gets off scot-free. Like, I don't don't think of her as a manic pixie dream girl. I don't think that she's weirdly obsessive. I don't think that the movie is... Even the sex scene, there, there, there really isn't a sex there scene, right? There isn't a sex just, scene. I they just remember there being off. a sex scene.
2: There is no sex Me scene.
0: Me too. Instead, it's like this tender moment of like, of like not knowing what to do, but but being attracted to them and like her making the first move, but ends up being really sweet. So I don't know, Bridget, what did what did you think about the whole those those questions? I guess.
2: Well, when I when I originally watched it, there's two audiovisual things that really stick with me in terms of sexuality and in, in this little window. And one of them is the cradle of love video. If anybody's seen that one, David Fincher directed <laughs> it. Highly recommend the it. Billy Idol, Billy Idol. Yep. And the other is this. And in both of those movies, uh, both of those movies, both of those pieces of video, it's, it's weird to talk about a music video and a movie in the same sentence. I don't recommend it. And in both of those, These women are not, they're focused on what they want, but what they want is not necessarily what the lead character wants or what the narrative of being an adolescent girl in 1990 tells you you should want. Samantha Mathis knows exactly what she wants. And once she figures it out, she has her eyes set on 1990s Christian Slater and who the fuck wouldn't let me tell you. Um, he's very attractive in this movie. I'm the straight girl in the room, so I'm just gonna report that for anyone who has a doubt. The interesting thing, and the kind of rare thing, is that she's allowed to have an appetite. If you watch this film is not yet rated, great documentary, highly recommended. It's really good. One of the little side notes or focuses, mini focuses, maybe. Is that if you want to get an R rating, what you really need to do to put in your movie is have a girl want something sexually. Yep. Uh, To have her pleasure be focused on, to have her desires be important, is automatically jacking your movie up a rating. Now, obviously, Pump Up the Volume says fuck approximately a million times and has... 10 scenes of Christian Slater pretending to jerk off. I'm not actually sure. (laughs) How do you count the humping the couch? So, you know, they were doomed anyway. And maybe that in and of itself gave them a little bit of freedom to talk about Samantha Mathis wanting to get naked with Christian Slater. And again, they don't have sex. Maybe that was another element of the freedom was if you don't actually have sex in the movie, maybe you can talk a little bit more about a girl wanting sex.
0: No, and, and you're exactly right. Like like she's just a really good character with really
1: clear desires.
2: Yeah. And she's not ashamed for
1: it. She's not ashamed for it, and and she shouldn't be, be. She goes after Christian Slater in this in a way that like is super charming for the era. And yeah, that there's no there's no kidding around here. I, I'll say I'm you know I am as as
0: Bridget mentioned straight sis guy, but Christian Slater is a very attractive fellow. Oh my gosh! And he's and he and he was one of those people that. Along with, you know, if, if, you know, if, if you're not attracted to the gender, the version of that is like, this guy's so fucking cool. I want to be just like him. Yeah. And Christian yeah. Slater, I had so many mo
2: I mean, that was Samantha Mathis.
0: She's so fucking yeah. cool. Yeah. Like between this and Heather's, even like fucking Robin Hood, he just, the way he talked yeah. and the way his attitude was, it was like, who didn't, if, if you were uh, a guy in the nineties and a straight cis guy in the nineties. You might not have wanted to fuck Christian Slater, but you probably wanted to be him for at least a good week.
2: The cool thing about Pump the Volume actually is, is it is a little bit of a subversion of the image he had already sort of articulated at that point, thanks to Heather's. Hard hard Happy Harry Hard on was the loud, crass, bad boy, but the actual person below is is like hunched in his cardigans trying desperately not to be noticed
0: it like, did a sensitive side which they started capitalizing on uh stuff like untamed heart right. and stuff i think untamed heart actually came before this but
2: may
1: have the Christian Bale being hot thing. Or Christian Slater, Slater. being hot thing. <laughs> Christian, Christian Bale is also looking, hot, yeah, but in right, a different also way. Hot. Yeah. But like an angry, an angry hot. Yeah. yeah
2: Which is ironic not cool considering hot. Christian Bale's never been arrested for beating up anybody. But let's move on. Oh. Oh,
1: good for you. You took your clothes off. Um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> happy, Harry, hard on. <laughs> so, uh, Christian Slater in this movie, way more attractive than he is in Heathers, even though Heathers I feel like is a more um, he has more unbridled sexuality mm. because in this he's doing less of a Jack Nicholson impression. It feels like it's yeah. more natural. Like it, it's weird because like if if Christian Slater had just like leaned into his natural charisma more, I think that he would have been a more successful actor and wouldn't have had to get redeemed by TV. Like right now, Mr. Robot is a very big show. I don't know. I stopped watching it at some point because I didn't really like it. But he looks uh, pretty
2: good in that move in that show though. He, he's yeah. very good
1: on that show. Yeah, They're giving him Christian Slater stuff to work with. He's getting yeah. to say anti-establishment lines. He's getting to look kind of hot. He's getting to be kind of like fun. Like he's like an element of chaos in the movie. He gets to like thumb – in the show, he gets to thumb his nose at authority. Like he's getting a perfect Christian Slater role now. Yeah. But like it feels more natural in Mr. Robot. It feels more natural in this where – at that point, you get to like kind of engage with him on a normal human level, which makes him more attractive. I think. Yeah,
2: there's enough complexity and enough variation in these characters that you really can find those people to attach to. Maybe you're Seth Green. No one's Seth Green. I was so oh. shocked he was in that movie. I was like,
0: what? I saw, I saw his name in the credits. <laughs> That's us. Like, We're gonna get Seth Green.
2: <laughs> Not We're for gonna very long. Green? And he's Green, very young. Green
0: was going in 1990. Uh, and just for the record, Untamed Heart, three years after. Oh, good to know this to know. movie. <laughs> yeah, we have we have um, two
2: Greens who are more famous for other things. Ellen Green of Little Shop of Horrors. Oh yeah, and, and she's Katie.
0: she's great in this movie.
2: She's so good.
0: Obviously, I think this. Is there any other scenes or moments that we want to talk about before we move into into final thoughts? Um,
2: I I do have one more dispatch of the old folks yeah let's do it because one of the things i really liked was because again i lived in a village i didn't have a lot of people um we were not very far away from dartmouth college um so the dartmouth college station was at that point run by students and they programmed the music and so any cool quote-unquote cool music i listened to either came from literally somebody's tape just like at the beginning and all throughout this movie or something i heard on the radio The College Station was really the only way I learned what cool music was. I think my first Peter Murphy song was on um, the Pump Up a Volume soundtrack, but pretty much simultaneously, their 99 Rock played, um, I think it might have been a year or two later, Cuts You Up. And then I bought Peter Murphy albums for like six years. Um, not because you could click on the internet and watch a video, but because you caught these couple of songs and you fell in love with this band or this artist and yep. you would take some gambles on buying the music yeah. because yeah. you weren't getting you it. You end up with a lot
0: of albums where it's like, Oh, it's just a one song? Yep. And that's good. Tonic <laughs> Katonic's lemon parade. Oh my goodness. So yeah it uh, yeah I, that, that that would happen to me all the time mm-hmm. because you're right and I was the oldest so I didn't have older brothers and sisters either and I didn't have even a cool radio station that I was aware of yeah, so I, I was had, listening I had to... one
2: cool friend who was most of the time my friend and the radio station um I literally I was going through cassette tapes like a masochist the other day because I was like, why do I still own these? What's wrong with me? there are still some <laughs> I I would just put you know the radio on and record for a while so I could, you know, take the songs off and put them on a second cassette so I could make
0: mixtapes. Oh, my God. I had so many radio cassettes. Yeah. To the point that there's still times... Ah, uh, this is that was especially junior high. Mm-hmm. We're we'll all hear a random song and then expect the like next the song. next song on Absolutely. that cassette. 100%. Like it's been like fifteen years, and yep. I'm like, I just heard that Indigo's girl song. Isn't Time by Hooting the Blowfish going to start playing? Yep. I'll be honest, if I would have found a radio station that played the music that uh, the Christian Slater plays in this movie, I probably would have rejected it because my body was not ready. Because all I heard was like. Terrible mid 90s pop was like it, my it, it,
2: most of that wouldn't have made it on the air anyway
0: well the well it, it you did for kick for...
2: out the jams motherfucker
0: yeah, i know it, it would have uh yeah the 90s pop though see you got the better like when you were in high school you had the better era of music
2: i did you probably
0: you probably had grunge like i i was like it was like the world of one hit wonders where it was all <laughs> like spice girls and Tubbs. Th- but there wasn't like late 90s i feel like is defined more by new metal yeah and that is
2: oh that's that's hot garbage
0: garbage so yeah uh what what are some moments that we didn't talk about we i feel like this has been a really uh this has been a great episode but not to jump ahead to my final thoughts but it's really it does what both nostalgia picks and high school movies does which is kind of make us not just talk about the movie specifically but talk about kind of our reaction to it as Mm -hmm. both um adults now and as kids so i feel like a lot of the movie we've we've glossed over and that's actually fine because sometimes these are these aren't plot rundowns, which is why we try to do the 90 second recap. We're supposed to just, you know, we want to just talk about what the movies make us feel and why we not to use our name, why we love to watch.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The thing that really struck me, especially in the, the closing scene as the closing credits start is how prescient this movie became because there was no internet as we knew it in 1990. Yeah. But the closing moments of this movie are all these teenage kids going, my name is so-and-so and and here I am in LA. My name is so-and-so and I'm in Arizona and I'm doing this thing. And 10 years from now, somebody's going to start doing little dumb videos on YouTube about their life. Now we're all sitting here yakking on this podcast And all of these kids are going to start finding their own voices. And weirdly enough, that's what happened. And no one had the, and the FCC couldn't tell them no anymore. There's no triangulating your YouTube video. I mean, people dox and that kind of stuff, but you know, it's (laughs) not, no, you're not breaking the laws. They're not shutting you down. All you need now is your internet connection And a microphone that maybe doesn't suck too much and you can get your voice out and you can get your story out in a way that was really kind of a fantasy for us in
0: 1990. Yeah. Well, I think – that, and I think even this movie sees it as like a fantasy call to arms. Yeah, it is. Like, man, in a perfect world, you guys would would all grab a microphone and start talking about your feelings and then six years later – not just a couple people did that, but fucking everyone did it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that the interesting thing about this movie is that, like, you kind of have to watch it in the context of, like, a cool pirate radio context. Because if you watch it in the context of uh, a, a modern one, you're kind of going to get, like, oh, this just, like, a YouTuber. It's just like a, you know, a Redditor who, uh, you know, is going to send out whatever racist shit they want over the, over the Internet. But like, you know, it's uh, it, it's it's part of his free speech. And it, it, it's an interesting thing because everything he's saying is like pretty progressive and pretty positive. But like, uh, I think that a lot of kids just glom on the like free speech aspect of it and not right. the. Using free speech to challenge the parts of society that uh, denigrate basic human dignity and bring people down and reinforce the status quo.
2: Well, and and even Harry has to have that revelation when Malcolm dies, that there's some kind of responsibility happening. Yeah, And – like that—that that was maybe the most unrealistically optimistic part of Bubble the Volume in retrospect. Um, now I've made myself sad to to have that reality that there's two pieces pieces to this. There's there's the ears that are listening. You're not just talking into the darkness.
0: Well, and Harry learned something, or sorry, Mark learned something. Although Harry learns it as well. Yes. Um. That I th- I feel like. Like 75% of our society has yet to learn, which is there's a difference between fault and responsibility, which is your speech is rarely at fault unless you're threatening someone or something like that for the bad thing that happens. But you bear a responsibility to elevate conversation and to elevate what you're saying to people because it does have an effect. And if you're not taking... The effect of that your speech has responsibility seriously. You are going to damage people if you insult people if you make them feel bad about who they are as a people or a person. You you bear a responsibility to to everyone around you. That's what a society is, and I feel like so much in our so many people in our world see fault and responsibility. Um, as the exact same thing, and the best analogy that I ever heard to try to like help people delineate from it, I forget where I heard it. Which is like, if snow falls on your on your sidewalk, is it is it your fault? Right. No, it's not your fault that the snow fell and covered your sidewalk, <laughs> but it's your responsibility to clean it up and make sure that other people can walk. And that's what people as adults, I feel like, don't worry. That, like, it's not your fault that racism is, is a thing. It's not your fault that, you know, t- you know, 400 years ago we had slaves in this country. It's not your fault that institutionalized sexism and misogyny is a thing. Like, you didn't do all that stuff. You are not the cause of that. But – Everyone who has a semblance of power in our society has a responsibility to improve, improve the world that we live in. And that is the, that is the tipping point that Mark hits is that it's not my fault that, that, that this kid committed suicide, but it is my responsibility to, to do everything I can to make sure the next kid doesn't.
2: Right.
1: Yes, I, I totally agree. It's sort of it, it is sort of a tale of like moving from adolescence to the responsibility of adulthood, though. I do kind of like that the last act of rebellion is not them just <laughs> him just getting like a fucking traditional radio job. His last act of rebellion is like, I'm going to be morally responsible for what I do and right. also put my public face out there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. His last Yeah, act when
2: the, the is, voice changer breaks and he's just like, fuck it. That's that's a really powerful
1: moment. Uh, I like that he's that is his last act of rebellion. It's not like that. And then a coda of him just like working in any other radio station, Um, which, you know, like in a modern context would still seem cool because radio is is much cooler. I think now um, that like it's a harder gig than it was before. And I, this movie isn't as cynical enough for him to. I feel like a lot
0: of these these, nihil, these like quasi nihilistic '90s movies, the the ultimate ending of this movie is that he sells out, right? You know, and it doesn't do that. There's, you're right, Peter. There's no scene ten years later where he's like, now it's happy, Harry hardcore, and remember. Don't recycle because it's shitty. Like, he doesn't turn into a Rush Limbaugh or, like, a a faux revolutionary. Um, He instead embraces, yeah, responsibility. And the movie ends with a call to action.
2: Yeah. And without a neat bow tied on anything.
1: No, no, no. It's kind of really... When the ending happens, it does kind of... This is not like a punk movie. Like, it's not like a Repo Man or something. Yeah. Or a Walker. But it is... It does have sort of a punk ending where you're just like, oh... You just have to sit with the message of what they're saying without giving you some sort of like clean emotional uh, release. They're not saying like, oh, we're going to give you, uh, you know, him getting out of prison because, uh, you know, his dad got him off. You, you just
2: sit there in your head going, OK, it's 1990. How much teeth does the FCC have at this point? Um, hmm. They got trucks. They got trucks trucks on trucks
1: they have have, and they have the dude in the suit who comes in he's like you know start what does he say and start rethink this free speech thing what is his line oh yeah he says yeah he says uh, I forget the exact line but he basically
0: says this is why I've said that free speech just doesn't work or something like that yeah yeah it's
2: pretty great actually
0: it's it's almost like uh, you know the Simpsons weren't around to say it yet but it's the i've said it before democracy does not work and it was <laughs> it, it was that with the fcc chairman saying yeah. it about yeah uh, free speech so so yeah I, I, this has been this has been such a it's been such a good episode and i feel like a lot different than a lot of our episodes where it really which which i, I think speaks to the power of the movie like it is a rare movie there's, there's usually there's kids movies that are for adults and there's kids movies for kids or – and that goes for teenage movies as well or high school yeah. movies. No, no. And I feel like this is, this is the weird high school movie or an exception to the normal high school movies where this is a high school movie for adults and – And it's a high school movie for high school students because it treats them like adults. This is a reflection of what it's like to be a high school student. So as an adult, you can look back and wince at some moments and recognize yourself. But it also is like a vibrant movie for the people that it's depicting, which that's very hard to get those two to cross over because usually one group The high school kids will look at it and go, this isn't for me. This is for my parents. No one's actually like this. Or you have – and then you have the parents or the older people watching it and going, oh, my God, this is so lame. High school kids are the worst. And so having that crossover is difficult. And this movie nails it. So it's – but it's such a high recommendation for me.
1: Peter and Bridget, any final thoughts? Um no I think this was a pretty emotional episode or at least it started as one and I uh, I really love that about it that this this is a movie that is about raw naked uh, emotional like bloodletting right uh and uh I think we did a little bit of that and yeah that's that's I'm happy we did that I I really have no regrets about us not getting into plot mechanics as much as we usually do because um, we got into more of what the messaging in the movie is uh, and what the movie is saying, what the movie is not saying. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much, Bridget and Aaron, for for sharing as well with with that whole process. And thanks for not, not being a dick when I was sharing.
2: <laughs> this is going to sound so sappy. Put the put the really swelly, pretty music on. Make, Make it as sappy as much. Make it as sappy as much. As sappy as you like. I think... When you're when you're you're a teenager, it's super easy to do this. But even when we're adults, it's like, well, somebody had it so much worse than me. How dare I not have been happy with every moment of high school or how dare I complain about the things that happen? And like one of the things this movie really underlines that I really like about it is that every one of those kids is fighting their own struggle and you can't really say any of them have it easy. Is it different? Do some people have it really shitty? Yes. Yes, they do. But is it easy for any of them? Of course not. They're teenagers. This is a hard thing. Um, and, And to recognize that all of us, you know, not all of us are doing the best we can, but most of us are trying the best we can. And the things that are hard are still hard. The fact that somebody next to you may have it harder doesn't mean that what you're doing isn't difficult at the time. Yes. And I, and I
0: think one thing adults tend to do too much of is they look back on those like times that they were depressed or they look back on those times where, you know, it felt like their world was falling apart or the world wasn't this open book that they were kind of taught it was. Mm-hmm. And it's easy, I think, to dismiss the past. Version of yourself is like, oh yeah, I was I, I wasn't doing that good in high school. Right? Yeah, I was just a dumb kid. It's it's you know it's that kind of adult repression of like who the past version of yourself was. That's as unhealthy as anything because that was a part of who you are now. Right. And if you if you're not like communing with them and understanding who you were at at high school, at elementary school age, at college age, in your mid twenties, then. It's very hard to take all the the lessons and the and the moments that have made you who you are, and actually, hopefully, funnel into a uh, funnel into a uh, a human being that's moving, you know, in a in a positive direction, which is obviously uh, the goal. I, I, these these types of movies that remind you like what it's like to be at that age, and kind of create these these kind of outpourings of. Of wanting to wanting to not dismiss who you were, but understand now in, in, in as in the context of who you are as an adult, what it was like at that age is is such a critical part of like being a
1: being a human being. Yep, one hundred percent, Aaron. One hundred percent. But yeah, I got I got kind of nothing else to say. Bridget, do you have any final thoughts?
2: I, I think I think that's it. Um I will also say that in retrospect, the other reason that this movie resonated so much with me and still does is that I just sort of love the whole perception versus reality pictures we present to ourselves versus the reality of ourselves. It's one of the things I like playing around with in superhero movies. It's the reason my daughter and I both binge Yuri on ice. Like it was a package of cookies, that real tension between who you pretend to be, who you are, and over there in the corner, who you actually want to be. Um, I always find that so interesting. And adolescence is particularly when you're struggling with those things. And I think even as adults, we need to remember that um, we do have those faces we put on. We do have those things we pretend to do and pretend to be. And it's important to remember that, that there's another person in there, and maybe that is who you want to be, and maybe it's not. Maybe just take a second and, and ask yourself that question sometimes.
0: Yeah, that that is a perfect note to end on. Bridget, thank you so much again for being on our show for a third time.
2: Thank you for suckering, suckering yourselves into watching this movie. I'm, I'm so happy I got to talk about it. <laughs> I, I, I am so happy that
0: we did this, too. And I'm so happy that we were able to have you on talk about uh, this episode because, you know, I hope I hope on our best version of our show is that we're able to do the Airbutt episodes that are fun and goofy and we had so much fun doing that with you. But you know, when the material calls forth, that we're able to to have those kind of discussions that are kind of, you know, we're we're not afraid to be um uh what's what's the word Peter that you use? We're not afraid to be uh, earnest. Earnest. There we go. That's a good one. Yeah, we're not. Af- hopefully, we're not afraid to be earnest and honest and emotionally honest. So. Yeah. This this was a re- this was a really great uh great episode. Thank you guys. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank uh, you so much, Bridget.
0: Bridget, what do you have to plug? Uh,
2: I suppose I ought to plug my FCC appropriate local community radio station, as I often do. Royalton Radio r g. <laughs> um, we're just a little teeny tiny local station, um, but uh, we do have fun, um, and I do have kind of a Friday night show where I do not swear. Because the FCC would frown on that.
0: Um, but she does play the song All for One,
2: I swear. I, I have played several tracks from Pump Up the Valium, <laughs> just neither Kick Out the Gems nor um, uh, Freedom of Speech by Above the Law.
0: Bridget, I'll say this to everyone listening. If if the, a movie about a radio station can't get you to go to Royalton Radio and give it a listen, <laughs> f- fuck you. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um talk about the most thematic plug of all Kinda time was. so definitely go check it out as always we'll include a link in the show notes and we hope that you do uh go check it out so so next week continuing our guest request month we have uh liz lerner Yay. who's joining us for uh, an episode that we've actually already recorded big change of pace from this one the movie's called urge with pierce brosnan released in 2016 if you haven't heard of it don't r- don't worry. We'll talk a lot about next week why you haven't.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm and excited. Also, do not. I feel like you should watch the movie before. Eh.
0: Yeah, this is yeah. I, I think it's fair. So for this one, especially, I know we say it for all episodes, but it's on Amazon Prime. It's only an hour and a half long, like an hour and twenty minutes with credits, without credits. If you haven't seen it. Go watch it because – and don't worry when the first 20 minutes are like, why do they want me to watch this? Because it is so bizarre. I, I don't want I don't want you to experience it from our podcast because it's, it's not going to give you a sense of, of what a fucking weird movie this is.
2: I'm so thrilled.
0: So uh, – and then Peter, what are, what are the last two we're doing this month?
1: After that, we're going to be doing The Room, the classic Tommy Wiseau uh, movie, uh, often considered the worst movie of all time, with Andrew Darr, first timer on the show, but a friend of the podcast. And uh, I think our take on that is going to be a little different than what you usually hear about The Room. Uh, it's not just going to be us laughing at how it fails at every conventional level. Uh, I think we're going to do something a little different on that. And then we're going to end the month with Joseph Finn doing Firefox. And I've said this before, and I'll say it next week, but it is kind of amazing (laughs) how every entry when we ask people to, to bring a movie on has been very representative of, I guess, my best sense of their personality. Uh, <laughs> decently representative of what I think of them, and Andrew Darr bringing out a big goofy, a big goofy bad movie for us to sort of that um, that he earnestly loves. He earnestly loves perfect. just like we do, or at least yeah. I do. Um, yeah. Joseph bringing out a Cold War tech, techno thriller is just like so perfect. And I, it's
0: perfect. Yeah. It's like it's like when your dad makes you sit down and watch a movie, and then hopefully, like halfway through, you're like, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah. I feel like the only more joseph movie that he could have brought on was if he did that uh jfk starring uh the movie about jfk uh pt 109 oh yeah <laughs> yes. i consider that the most dad movie of all time <laughs> Oh yeah. <no. laughs> so like joseph next time we do this we asked for it it's pt 109 but this
1: time firefox firefox <laughs> Firefox. Um, yeah, but Bridget, th- Bridget, like I just said, uh, the movie has been uh, pretty representative of you, and I'm really glad that this unlocked us, uh, unlocked a little bit about you that we uh, might not have gotten out of something that you had more casual feelings about, like maybe an Air bud. Yeah, um,
2: yeah, well, you you get you get all those things with me. That's that's why I'm so yes. gosh darn multi talented.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you will be appearing on many many future episodes yes. of We Love to Watch. Yes, yes, that's yes. what I like to so, hear. So thank you very much, everyone. And, <laughs> and I'll tell you what. we'll, we'll you know what we'll forego the awkward ending this time because you know when you're in high school it's awkward enough. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just say good night. And listen to your favorite Leonard Cohen song as you drift off into sleepiness. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.